This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. If you please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. We will, Lord willing, over the next two Sundays, look at Genesis 31 in two parts concerning Jacob's departure from Laban. So today we will look at the first 21 verses of Genesis 31. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock, and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with, <clears throat> you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived, that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. And the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. He said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now also arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Paddan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unknown to Laban the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all he had. He 
arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word today, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would open our hearts to receive it, that you would speak your truth through it, that we would see your care and your provision for your people. And most of all, Father, I pray that from this passage you would point us to our hope, to the blessings of the covenant of grace that we receive in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Last week, we looked at the end of Genesis 30 about Jacob suffering in silence under the dishonesty and deception of his uncle and father-in-law twice over, Laban. Despite the fact that Laban repeatedly swindled Jacob, continued to swindle Jacob, Jacob had remained and continued to serve Laban. And yet God was with him, and God avenged Jacob by systematically transferring Laban's flocks and wealth into his hands. Now it is not that Jacob had never thought about or wanted to leave. In the last chapter, he did contemplate leaving before he and Laban negotiated a new agreement, which Laban then immediately broke. So there is a time for suffering in silence, for patient endurance. But there can also come a time where it is time to leave, time to go away from evil and evildoers if one is able. So Jacob and his family reach that point in our text today. Enough has happened to Jacob to bring him to a point of being ready to go. God has also brought Laban in his house to the point where They no longer see keeping Jacob as a top priority. God has orchestrated events according to his will and purposes so that Jacob will return back to his people and his place in Canaan. But he will not go back as the man he came. When Jacob came, he was a deceiver. He was a swindler. He will go back as a man who has learned many hard and painful lessons And yet also now as a man who has learned to trust in the Lord, even in the trials and hardships. So we'll look over the next two Sundays, Lord willing, at chapter 31 in Jacob's departure from Laban. In the first part today, these first 21 verses, we will see three points. First, there is a resolution in verses 1 through 3. God has brought this situation to a head so that Laban and his sons no longer want Jacob around like they did before. And then God commands Jacob, it's time to go. Second, there is a recollection in verses 4 through 13. Jacob brings his two wives and tells them about Laban's treacheries and God's faithfulness despite them, but now that it is time to go. And then third, we see removal in verses 14 through 21. Jacob's wives are agreeable, and they make their preparations, and together they depart. 
So resolution, recollection, and removal. So first we see the resolution in verses 1 through 3. Now remember from last week that Jacob's selective breeding program of Laban's flocks worked. It succeeded with God's help, such that Jacob has now become prosperous. He now has for himself, to his own name, flocks and herds, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. God has made Jacob a wealthy and prosperous man, despite all of Laban's efforts to the contrary. God has done this just as he did before with Abraham and with Isaac. He prospered them and he enlarged them despite difficult circumstances in which they lived. He did this for Jacob despite the fact that Jacob was operating at a disadvantage. Laban had frequently swindled Jacob, done evil to him, tried to change the rules and stack the deck against Jacob. But it has not been lost on Laban and his sons that Jacob has now taken the upper hand. In verse 1 of chapter 31, we see that Jacob hears Laban's sons grumbling about the change in the situation. Now, it's not as though Laban's sons were just innocent bystanders in this wicked plot. They seem to have been co-conspirators. They would have been Laban's heirs. Laban's wealth and prosperity would have eventually led to their wealth and prosperity. We also saw in the last chapter that Laban sent his sons away with the speckled and spotted flocks that should have been Jacob's. And we saw no protest, no objection on the part of Laban's sons. They played their part in this swindling, in this theft. But God is blessing Jacob. And it starts to become noticeable over time that suddenly Jacob has a lot of animals and a lot of wealth. And Laban and his sons, they have fewer animals and less wealth than they did before. And so they begin to envy Jacob. They begin to resent Jacob and they begin to despise him. Part of the problem of this arrangement between Jacob and Laban is that it was an unequal arrangement. Up to this point, Jacob seemed to be doing an unduly large portion of the work compared to Laban and his sons. And yet Laban and his sons were the ones who mostly profited from it. But now that Jacob's work is benefiting him and not benefiting Laban and his sons anymore, suddenly Laban's sons and Laban himself perceive a problem. Now, if Jacob had not been the primary keeper of these flocks and herds, if Laban and his sons had taken more responsibility, done more of the work themselves, they likely would not be suffering at the hands of Jacob's success. This is often the case for those who would seek to enrich themselves and become prosperous and wealthy apart from honest labor, and especially those who would do so while using and abusing and exploiting others. The Bible tells us elsewhere, those who don't work, don't eat. And even if they can get away with it for a time, God sees and knows. And this resentment of Jacob turns into family tension as Jacob notices that his brothers-in-law and his father-in-law no longer favor him as they did. He overhears their grumblings. The family gatherings probably aren't quite as happy and fun as they used to be. 
But it's not just Laban's sons. Verse 2 tells us it's Laban himself who's turned on Jacob. As long as Jacob was basically working for free and let Laban benefit, Laban loved Jacob, wanted to keep him around as long and as long and for as much as possible. But now that Jacob was winning, Jacob was prospering with God's help, while Laban could do nothing but sit and watch, Laban was salty, Laban was bitter, Laban was resentful. Of course, ultimately, the opinions of Laban and his sons don't mean all that much. They made a deal. This deal has not worked out for them. But the most important opinion on the situation is rendered in verse 3, when the Lord appears to Jacob and gives him a command. Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Now it is possible that up to this point, although Jacob had one time previously resolved to leave, there was still hesitation and difficulty for him to leave. It didn't seem that he needed a lot of convincing in chapter 30 to agree to this new employment agreement with Laban. Jacob had been there for over 14 years. Maybe he was comfortable there now. He had wives. He had children. And by the way, his wives were Laban's daughters and his children were Laban's grandchildren. These families were essentially melded together at this point. Although Jacob knew he was in a bad situation, perhaps he was still reluctant to leave. Sometimes it's easier just to stay and do the easy thing, even if it's not the good thing or the right thing. But God says in no uncertain terms, it is time for Jacob and his family to depart. Jacob is to head back to Canaan, back to the promised land, back to where Jacob's family was. But with this command, God also gives a promise. I will be with you. Jacob might have been fearful at the prospect of leaving. Thus far, Laban had greatly resisted any attempts at Jacob's departure. Jacob also had potential problems waiting for him when he went back. What state was his home and his family in? What about Esau? Last time Jacob was home, his brother Esau wanted to kill him. There were certainly doubts and concerns about this journey home, but God promised to be with Jacob. Whatever Jacob was about to endure, he would not have to endure it alone. There was another issue, though, another consideration in this pending departure, which was Jacob's wives, who were Laban's daughters. And this brings us to our second point. After the resolution, we come to recollection in verses 4 through 13. We see that Jacob calls Rachel and Leah to the field. Seems up to, their, up to this point that their home had been with Laban's home. They all lived together. And Jacob could not address them at home without this plan being discovered. Laban and his sons could hear. So Jacob calls his wives to the fields where the flocks were. Now Jacob had some potential cause for concern here. Leah and Rachel had never lived anywhere else. They'd been born in this land. They grew up in this land. Their family was in this land. 
Perhaps they still had some attachment to their people and place. They may have still wanted to be near their father and brothers. They wouldn't take kindly to such a swift and permanent departure. But Jacob needs them to be on board with this plan. Also meeting with them among the flocks gives Jacob the opportunity to show the wealth and prosperity they now have. Perhaps they might have been afraid that leaving Laban would be leaving for a life of ruin and poverty, but they could look around and they could see all these animals that were Jacob's and be reassured that there would be enough for them even outside of Laban's house. You might also remember back when Jacob first met Rachel, Rachel was keeping the sheep, so she would have known exactly how much these flocks would have grown and how much more there was and how it was now Jacob's. So Jacob walks his wives through the current situation and the developments that led to it. He first tells them that he is aware of Laban's displeasure. When he says, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before. Things have soured between Jacob and Laban. Maybe Leah and Rachel had noticed, maybe they hadn't. But Jacob also insists that despite the loss of the favor of their father, his God, the God of his father, is with him and has blessed him. If their earthly father has turned on them, their heavenly father remains on their side. Jacob also recounts to Leah and Rachel how faithfully he has served Laban. There could be no doubt of that. And if there was, being in the field among the flocks would serve as a reminder. Jacob had been there. Jacob had been doing that work. Everything they saw was the fruit of Jacob's labor. He had been the keeper of these animals and had become prosperous with them with God's help. But Laban had not done right by Jacob. He had never done right by Jacob. Jacob tells his wives that Laban had changed his wages ten times. We've seen a few times where Laban had swindled Jacob, gone back on his word. We first saw this in the treachery concerning Jacob's marriage to Leah, but also in the last chapter, the treachery concerning the division of the animals. Apparently there were even more incidents besides these that weren't recorded for us. So again, Laban has never done right by Jacob. We see even that since this agreement in the last chapter, there were further negotiations on the division of the herds. Perhaps Laban was trying to change the rules. Well, you said spotted, so I want the, the streaked and vice versa and on and on it goes. Perhaps a continuing attempt by Laban to renegotiate the deal. And yet at every step, God has blessed Jacob and turned the situation for his good. Whatever was supposed to be Jacob's portion, God has blessed and enlarged that portion while passing Laban's portion over. God is favoring Jacob while punishing Laban for his fraud and deceit. And so God has taken away Laban's livestock and given them to Jacob. Laban has tried at every turn to lie and cheat and steal, but he was no match for God's hand of provision for his people. 
We next see in verse 10 that Jacob recalls a dream. We don't know when exactly he had this dream, how much time had even passed since the events of chapter 30, but at some point, Jacob had a prophetic dream. We see that the one who appeared to Jacob in that dream was the angel of God. Now, we have seen this angel before, but just as a reminder, this angel is not merely an angel. It is an angel to whom the very works attributes, power, glory, and actions of God are attributed. This angel of the Lord, who had previously appeared to others in Genesis and also to Jacob, was the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, one who was like God and was God. The angel of the Lord revealed to Jacob that he saw all that Jacob endured at the hands of Laban. And yet the flocks would be Jacob's. They would bear streaked and speckled and spotted so that they might belong to Jacob's portion, even if they might not have naturally or ordinarily done so. And this angel, who is God, affirms as much in verse 13 when he says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. This was not a new God. This was the same God that appeared to Jacob at Bethel back in chapter 28. Remember there that Jacob saw the ladder of angels ascending and descending, and it was the place where God came down to Jacob and covenanted with him and vowed to bless him. But we also see here something of a callback to a previous time where the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar when she fled from Sarah. Hagar gave God a name. You are the God who sees. God is the God who sees. And that God sees the sufferings of Jacob at the hands of Laban. But he sets things right by his own power. Though there have been many trials and troubles, and even many of them coming because of Jacob's own sin, in this time where he has sojourned among Laban, God has been there through it all, working things out for his own glory and for the good of his people and for the good of Jacob. This is the kind of God we serve. The God who sees and knows us even in the dark times and the dark places, even when we think he is distant and absent and not concerned with us, God sees, God knows, and God is working for his glory and our good. Let us be comforted and reassured of this God today. Whatever life is currently throwing at us, whatever evils might be done to us by other people, but in this dream, God also gave the command. We don't know if it was at the same time as the command in verse 3 or another time, but in either case, it is clear. God is commanding Jacob to leave Laban and to go home, back to Canaan, back to the land of his family. Jacob is not just wanting to leave because things are bad with Laban. He wants to leave because it is his duty to God's command. But how will his wives react? Again, this place has always been their home. They've never known another. They've never known life apart from their father. 
They married Jacob and had all their children here. So would Jacob's wives respond with fear or faith? Well, this brings us to our final point. After the resolution and the recollection, we come to removal in verses 14 through 21. We see that Leah and Rachel jointly respond, beginning in verse 14. Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? Now, on the one hand, there's nothing left for them because the livestock has all become Jacob's. But at another level, there is also no inheritance for them because Laban does not properly honor or regard them. Here we get a bit of their own recollection of Laban's treachery and what it has done for them. They say, for he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. The whole reason that both of them were married to Jacob was because Laban saw them as nothing more than property for bartering, as nothing more than bargaining chips for his schemes. Remember I said back when Jacob first met and desired to marry Rachel that a more just and equitable arrangement would have been for Jacob to merely pay the bride price for Rachel and take, him as, take her as his wife right away. But Laban wanted to cheat. Laban wanted to exploit Jacob for not only seven, but ultimately 14 years of essentially free labor. When it came time to pay the initial deal, Laban instead, thinking so little of his daughters, married the wrong daughter to Jacob. So what is clear to Jacob is also clear to Leah and Rachel. Their father is a swindler, a deceiver, a liar, and a thief. And he had dishonored and devalued them just as he had Jacob. Laban treated them as property and bartered and sold them and squandered even the benefit he received from that. So they recognize the justice and propriety of what Jacob has proposed. They answer in verse 16, For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. In other words, though Laban cheated them, all of them, out of what was theirs, God has righted the scales. Laban should have treated Jacob and his wives and children better, more like people than property, more like family than slaves. But despite Laban's wickedness, God has dealt with him according to his evil. And so Jacob's wives agree to depart. They say, whatever God has said to you, do it. They recognize that God has been with Jacob and that Jacob must obey God. And as Jacob's wives, they must go along. Now note that this comes even despite the complications of their marriage arrangement. They are both wives to Jacob, even rather unwillingly. Even the particularly unloved and scorned wife, Leah, is accepting of this plan and accepting of the will of God. So now all that remains is to set this plan into motion, starting in verse 17. We see that Jacob sets his, son, his sons and his wives on camels. Now in that day, this would have been luxury travel. This shows how wealthy and prosperous Jacob had become, that he's able to 
have enough camels at least to put his wives and 11 sons on. Now also we must consider the size and scale of Jacob's operation and how difficult it would have been to move it. It's not exactly easy or subtle to pack up a family of this size and all the livestock and servants that go with them and to move them. But this is exactly what they do. It seems that Laban is absent for a time. He went away to shear what was left of his own sheep. And that's when they packed up and left. Of course, also at this time, Jacob's wife Rachel grabs a few extra things that she had no business taking. She took Laban's household idols. In that time, it was not uncommon among pagan peoples to keep idols to keep images of whatever gods they worshipped in their home. Among other things, we know from this that the house of Laban did not worship Yahweh. They did not worship the true God. Because Yahweh is not and has never been worshipped by images. Now these household idols were probably also valuable. They very well could have been made of precious metals and stones. So why did Rachel steal them? We're not told for certainty. But none of the possibilities are good. It's possible that Rachel stole the idols because she worshipped and served them. If so, this is idolatry. It is unacceptable and it has no place among the people of God. It's also possible that She may not have worshipped them, but she merely stole them because they were valuable. That is theft, and that is also wrong. Or it may be recognizing how she has been wronged by Laban. This was simply an act of petty vengeance. But vengeance is the Lord's. If there were some kind of pious intent to take these idols to turn Laban away from worshipping them... She shouldn't have stolen them. She should have hid them or even better, destroyed them. But she takes them. She wants them for herself. Now this will create some rather serious problems in our passage next week. What this also shows us is that though God has blessed this family, he has sanctified them much. He has, by his hand of providence, brought them through much trial and sorrow and yet still has blessed them, there remains sin. The covenant with Abraham and Isaac, and now with Jacob, was not and is not a covenant of works, where good people are saved because they are good. No, God saves sinners. God helps sinners. He continues to do so, even in the face of blatant idolatry and theft. So we see then that Jacob and his family, they stole away, they left unknown to Laban. Jacob knew that Laban would never willingly let him leave. Laban intended to keep Jacob poor and keep Jacob with him forever. And so they have to leave secretly. And so they do. Everyone and everything that is Jacob's taken, and they head for the mountains in the west. 
The scene is now set for our final confrontation between Jacob and Laban, which will come in our text next week. But let us reflect on what we have seen today. God has been leading Jacob up this long climb of sanctification, more and more turning him from a deceiver and a fraud to a man of faith, one who trusted God to care for him and help him. And now, as he prepares to depart from Laban and go back home, he has, and we have along with him, the opportunity to see the good that the Lord has done for him. How the Lord, because of the promises of the covenant of grace, because of God's goodness and love and favor for fallen sinners, has helped Jacob and brought him safe thus far. That covenant with Jacob, the blessings of the covenant of grace, The love and care of the Lord are the same blessings received by those who are by faith united to the Lord Jesus Christ. For this covenant comes to its fulfillment when Christ, the descendant of Jacob, unlike Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and all the others, lived a perfect and sinless life, fulfilling all righteousness, keeping the law in place of sinful people, who, can, who can't not sin. And Jesus suffered and died to pay the penalty of sin, to satisfy the wrath of God and to reconcile his people to him. Tonight we'll be looking in John 19 at the crucifixion of Christ and what he had to endure for our salvation. But after that, Christ was raised from the dead, conquering sin and death forever. And now he rules and reigns over all things and so orders them for the good of his people and his own glory. So those who by faith repent of their sins and believe in Christ receive all the blessings promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The nations are blessed as salvation in the gospel goes forth. But also, practically, those of God's people who suffer in silence, as Jacob did for a time, know that you are not forgotten. Know that you are not forsaken. Know that God sees and knows and helps. Even if you are not delivered in this life, Because of the work of Christ, you have an eternal hope, an eternal home, and an eternal inheritance. So whether it is today or whether at the end, all will be made right. And you will be free. And you will rest in the presence of your Savior. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you for what it reveals to us, not only the history of your people, but also your blessings of the covenant of grace, your favor and your salvation of sinners, and also how you bless them, how you help them, how you order all things for your glory and their good. I pray that you would write the hope of the gospel on the hearts of your people today, that you would comfort us whatever afflictions and suffering we face, and that we might praise you in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.